Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Our sermon text is a familiar one. It's Luke chapter 2 and verses 1 through 21. And this morning's sermon is titled, Good News of Great Joy. That first Christmas morn brought, brought good news into this world, news that gives us great joy. And a joy that must not just be on Christmas, but a joy that must be present in our lives each and every day. And by God's grace, that truth is secure. Our text is, uh, once again, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph with the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, you must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us your word. We we are not... Um, left without hearing your voice. Even this very hour, you speak to us as your Holy Spirit opens uh, this ancient text. We pray that you would apply it to our hearts new and fresh and in a powerful way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when Jimmy Fallon took over the Tonight Show, he started to run a bit titled, I've got good news and good news. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't good news and bad news. He says, I have good news and good news. 
It was an effort to inject some good news into what he rightfully perceived was a world that was rife with only bad news. And uh, some of these skits were hilarious. What he did was he took real-life newscasters and commentators. Uh, Chuck Scarborough was one of them. Uh, and and they, they read the headlines that his writing team came up with. Uh, here's a few examples. President Obama and Speaker of the House John Boehner took a hot air balloon ride together today to discuss what their favorite color was. They both said, at the exact same time, every color, then hugged and floated off into the sunset. <laughs> Vladimir Putin says he's over the whole being evil thing and is currently in the process of writing children's book called The Happy Octopus. This just in, stressed, spelled backwards, is desserts. There's a new iPhone app that's out to help people who are going through a divorce. But it didn't sell well. It appears that everyone is happily married. In Fallon's own words, these stories um, that, that the newscasters projected were, were stories that we wished we had heard because we wished they were true. Fallon's confession rings true. We wish the world was a different world. We wish... Life was devoid of sorrow and suffering and strife. We wish life was one joy-filled experience after another. But the older we get, the more skeptical we are that anything other than the status quo is possible. Add to that the truth that much the, the, the truth is that much of the good news that we long for really isn't the good news that we really long for. What do I mean by that? Well, many, if not all, the items on our wish list end up in the end falling way short of satisfying us. When I was a boy, I had on my Christmas list, many years running, my brother and I both had football uniforms on our Christmas list. Imagine our surprise when we were at Grandma and Grandma's house and we, ripping, we rip open the wrapper and we see inside, uh, there's this plastic wrapper with a, with a guy in a, a football helmet and inside there are, there are cotton uniforms. I ripped that bag open and I held it up and yeah, it was pajamas. <laughs> Don't feel sorry for me, I've recovered. <laughs> But consider this, even if those were real football uniforms, the good news eventually would have worn off. I would have outgrown the uniform, or I would have set my eyes on something else. And that's the problem with our wish list. Most all the things that we think are going to be good news for us, in the long run, never fully satisfy. Don't get me wrong. Having a desire and a longing uh, for good things is, for good news is a good desire. Our problem is this. We are looking for good news in a world full of bad news. We look to leaders who fall short. We look to relationships that fall short. And if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we too fall short. But Christmas tells us that there is a good news that will set all things in order. A good news that triumphs over all the bad news on earth. A good news from above that changes things here below. 
a good news that says, I have some good news and some good news. Luke, who wrote this historical account, wants us to change the way in which we see things. He wants us to look up to see the good news. An angel comes with a message. A message of what? Of good news. The angel speaks and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Heaven holds the answer to this world's bad news problem. God sent His very own Son into this world to bring us a good news that forever satisfies. Let's look at that good news. First, we need to see that God's good news comes into a world like ours. You know, we moderns like to think that this world is completely different than it was 2,000 years. But for as much as the world has changed, it has stayed the same. We are born into a world that is rife with suffering and sorrow and fear and conflicts and poverty and racism and hunger and disease and, oh yes, death and taxes. So too in Jesus' day. In our passage, we read of Caesar Augustus. He is praised by historians for ushering in the great Pax Romana, the Roman peace. But how did this peace come about? Well, back when he was simply Octavian, the Roman senator, he used his relationship with his uncle, Julius Caesar, to his advantage. Problem was that when Julius Caesar died, uh, the government of the Roman Republic was now formed into a triumvirate. But that's no problem for Octavian. A bloody civil war would fix that problem. Octavian rose to power. He was the first Caesar to be given the title emperor. He reigned from 30 AD to 14, excuse me, 30 BC to 14 AD. And the boots of his warriors trampled throughout the known world. His Roman soldiers brought bloody death to any and all foreign armies who did not bow to Rome. He had his name changed to Augustus, which means, uh, which means great or venerable one. At some point, he even gave himself the title Dominus et Deus, which means Lord and God. He was so powerful that he achieved godlike status throughout the empire. There's an inscription at Halicarnassus that says that says that says that he's the savior of the world. This is the same Caesar Augustus that ruled the known world that first Christmas day. The same Caesar Augustus that issued the powerful decree that caused this poor carpenter Joseph to have to travel 70 to 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem with his nine-month pregnant Mary. Emperor Augustus caused a stirring throughout the empire. What was going on? Why would he cause people to go to their, to their uh, hometowns? Well... Augustus was implementing a new tax upon the people, and everyone had to go to their hometown so they could be properly registered for the tax. Sounds kind of like our world today, doesn't it? Benjamin Franklin was right when he said these famous words, in this world nothing can be said for certain except death and taxes. Emperor Augustus brought death and taxes. The so-called Pax Romana wasn't all that peaceful. Yes, a few elites at the top enjoyed their status. And yeah, the average citizen was thankful that the wars were over, at least for now. But the average citizen in Rome struggled to eke out an existence. 
It's into this very world that God's good news came. A world that, though it's always changing, yet it remains the same. And in a world in which it doesn't really matter which governments are in power, there's always hardship, suffering, strife, and yes, sin and death and taxes. Now, why is it that government will never really fully satisfy? It's because we're all sinners. We can barely even rule over our own lives, let alone rule over millions of people. Every human being who's ever lived other than Christ is tainted with sinfulness like pride and selfish ambition and pretty much any other sin you can imagine. Which is what makes this good news of Christmas so delightful. Christmas is God fulfilling His promise to give this world a perfect and wonderful ruler. Unlike any other emperor or ruler who has ever lived. You're familiar with that passage that's often read from Isaiah around Advent time, from Isaiah chapter 9. 750 years before Christ, God made a promise that to one day send someone who will put an end to all wars and he'll rule the world with great justice and kindness and grace and mercy. Let me read just a little from Isaiah 9. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. God is saying through Isaiah, there's a day coming when I'm going to put, the, put an end to all wars. But how will this come about? It's amazing. What do we read next? For to us a child is born. For to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What has God promised? God has promised that a son would be born, a divine son. He's called mighty God, and he's going to, to put an end to all wars. He's going to bring an everlasting peace. He is the one who's going to rule with perfection and love and kindness and justice and mercy and righteousness. And we know this is going to happen because this is God's good news. The zeal of the Lord will bring this about. God has promised a day in the still distant future, perhaps maybe not so distant, when His Son Christ, the risen Christ, will return and usher in this day of everlasting peace. So let me ask you this. When you look at that wish list that you've got, does this good news of the angels, uh, can, that, can that be found on your wish list? So we've seen that God's good news came into a world like ours. Now we need to see that God's good news came into a world like ours to a people like you and me. At least, let's hope so. Do you remember when all that fuss was made when Prince William and Kate had their first child? Do you remember they were like wagering as to what the gender would be? I think that's kind of like a 50-50 bet, right? I don't know. Um, but they're also wagering on what the child's name would be. And when Prince George finally came into the world, the whole country, you know, the whole world was abuzz with royal fever. When royalty is born, it comes with great fanfare. Guess what? When Caesar Augustus was born, it, it was announced with great fanfare. Uh, it, was, it was called a report of 
good news. And it announced the arrival, no joke, of a Savior. Contrast that with the birth announcement of the Son of God. Surely if God himself were to come to earth, surely if God were to take on flesh, to be God incarnate, Surely the notification, uh, that, that surely that son would have been born in the, in the greatest capital of the greatest empire ever. Uh, surely all the nobility would have been notified. But no, Jesus was born in poverty and obscurity. 1,500 miles away, as the crow flies from Rome, in a third-rate, not much to it, backcountry land of Judea, in complete obscurity, the Son of God was born. And he was born in a stable. And he was not laid in a pottery barn crib. He was laid in a manger. You know what a manger is? I mean, it sounds pretty when we sing the songs. But it's a feeding trough for livestock. Let's hope they rinsed it out a few times. And not only were the Roman elite not invited and formed, neither were the Jewish leaders or the religious establishment. Who was it that received the special invitation? The shepherds. Now, before you get all sentimental and in your mind start rearranging that manger scene, you need to know this. Shepherds were outcasts. They were third-class citizens. Religiously, they were outclassed. They were outcasts because of the work they did made them ceremonially unclean to go and worship in the temple. They were also outcasts culturally. The shepherds were known for their corruption. They were treated like felons. They couldn't give testimony in a court of law. Think about it. Why were the shepherds the first to hear? Why were they invited to see the newborn son of God? It's because shepherds represent the outcasts and the sinners that the Son of God came to save. And because shepherds had hearts that were prepared to experience God's grace. See, they know they aren't righteous. They know they're undeserving. They know that they're in need of mercy and grace. Like in that famous Christmas hymn we sing, Joy to the World, their hearts have prepared him room. Oh, that our hearts would prepare him room. As in the shepherd's day, people today see little need for Jesus. Oh, they like Jesus. I mean, who couldn't like Jesus, right? But many people who like Jesus have no room in their hearts for Jesus. Because that signifies giving of one's life over to someone else. To trusting in someone other than yourself. To living life with a knee bowed to a Lord other than oneself. You know, in Jesus' day, people liked Jesus. Not all of them. He ended up being killed, as we know. People in Jesus' day thought of him as just a good teacher or a moral example, so too today. But Jesus wouldn't let people go there. 
Remember the rich young ruler who came up to Jesus and he, and he asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do in order to have eternal life? And Jesus just challenged him on his whole conception of goodness. Do you even know what good is? I mean, I know you think you're good, but only God is good. And, and then the man went on to tell him, you know, but I've been, I've been good. I've been doing all these laws that God asked us to do. So I, I feel like I, I just, maybe just one thing, maybe one thing, Jesus. And Jesus challenged him. He said, sell all you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. See, he knew the man's heart had no room. He knew the man violated the first command, which is, you shall have no other gods before me. This man ended up walking away from Jesus because though he liked Jesus, he had no room in his heart for Jesus. He saw no need for a Savior. Many today miss the good news of Jesus because they fail to understand the bad news. And the bad news is that none of us are safe. We all need a Savior. But check this out. To all who know their need, to all who have prepared room in their hearts, the angels have a word for you this morning. What is their message? Look at verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not. Seems to be when people come into the presence of angels, there's a lot of fear going on. It's kind of a scary thing. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What is this good news of great joy that's not just for the shepherds, but for us today as well? The angels say what? Unto you a child is born. Now this is kind of weird, isn't it? It's like, no, the child was born unto Mary. She's the mother, right? And typically that's how it goes, you know. But there's something different about this child. See, Mary's baby is God's gift, not just to Mary or the shepherds, but to the entire world. The reason this good, this good news gives us great joy is because of the three titles that the angels give this child. Savior, Christ, and Lord. A Savior is a deliverer. Someone who comes to the rescue. Someone who saves people from death or destruction. It implies what? That we need a Savior. <laughs> Jesus came to save us from sin and death. Thirty years later, he would accomplish this. What did Mary do with baby Jesus at his birth? She, she swaddled him. You know what it is to swaddle? It's to take that baby and, and take the child's arms and, and, and hold them out straight and fold them down and, and then to wrap them with cloth. Uh, uh, this is done for, for the good of the child. Thirty years later, Roman soldiers under the great Pax Romana took Jesus' arms and held them straight and nailed them to a cross. This was for our good. On the cross, Christ took our sin and he died so that we might come alive to him. That's what Jesus came into the world for. He was born to die so that we could die to sin and come alive in Christ. That's the message of Christmas. And they're saying that Christ is a Savior. The angels also declare uh, they call him Christ. Now, a lot of people think Christ is like Jesus' last name, right? Uh, but it's not. It's a, it's a title. It comes from the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one. Jesus, this little baby, um, before these shepherds, God is saying that um, I've anointed this one to carry out my work on this earth. He was also declared Lord. 
What does this refer to? It refers to Jesus' sovereignty. Just as like a king is sovereign over his kingdom, so too Jesus is sovereign over all God's kingdom. And one day that will expand to all the world and it will come to its full fruition. The good news for the shepherds was that on this day, this child was born. The Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Christ, the Lord. But this, the shepherds acknowledge that they wouldn't have known this if God didn't first make it known to them. We see that in verse 15. The Lord has made this known to us. question for you this morning is, has God made that known to you? You can know if he has by how you respond to the good news. So far we've seen the good news comes into a world like ours to a people like us, hopefully. <laughs> uh, and now we see it all depends on how we respond. There's four positive responses. We'll go through them quickly. The first response is proclaiming. The, the shepherds faithfully went to Bethlehem like the angels had commanded them, and they found a baby in swaddling uh, cloths, lying in a manger, just like they were told. And in verse 17 we read, and when they saw it, uh, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Just as the angels proclaimed this good news to the shepherds, so now the the shepherds were proclaiming this good news to Mary and Joseph. And my friends, that's our proper response this morning too. We, when we know and hear the good news, we are to proclaim this good news that unto us the Savior has been born. This world is in desperate need of hearing a good news uh, that is really truly good news that lasts for all eternity. The second response is that of wondering. Look at verse 18. And all who heard it um, wondered at what the shepherds told them. Evidently, there was more people present than just Mary and Joseph. Um, no, the, the kings aren't there yet. That's a few more months before they show up. But I guess, you know, when, when someone gives birth, people just tend to show up. We don't know who they were, but we do know they responded how? With wondering. Now, picture this scene in your mind. Just maybe close your eyes. Picture this. Shepherds bust into a stable, and they say, we're looking for a baby in a feeding trough. <laughs> and, and Mary, exhausted from her labor, lying on the ground next to the trough, looks up, perhaps bewildered. Her husband Joseph, a little concerned, grips her hand, clutches it perhaps a little bit more tightly. Others in the stable gather in closer. I mean, perhaps with a little concern. They're, they are shepherds after all. You know what they're like. Then the shepherds with faces all aglow, frantically with great enthusiasm, describe what happens. Listen, I know this sounds bizarre, but hear us out. An angel appeared to us last night. No joke. An angel spoke to us. He told for us to come and find you here. Specifically, he said that, that we would know we found you because there would be a baby in a manger. Now, who puts a baby in a manger? But here you are. And the angel said, hold on, this is where it gets crazy. The angel said, your son is the promised Messiah. He is God's son. He's the Savior of the world. He is the Christ. We swear on the Torah. I know we're shepherds. I know we're not to be trusted, but this is the honest to God truth. Perhaps it took a while to sink in. 
Wondering is not a quick process. Wondering is a crockpot in a microwave world. Let me ask you, do you wonder at the birth of Christ? No, seriously, wonder at his birth. Do you get lost and distracted just thumbing through all the details? Do you let them ricochet through your mind? Better yet, do you let the conclusions penetrate your heart? Next is pondering. Verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What is Mary doing? She's adding up what she's already experienced in Luke chapter 1, right? Nine months earlier, an angel named Gabriel showed up on her doorstep. Uh, she was betrothed to Mary Joseph, but she was a virgin. And the angel said, don't be afraid. Again, once again, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will call his name Jesus. Jesus means God saves. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David. And he will reign forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. She's, she's remembering that. And then fast forward a few weeks, she goes to visit her sister Elizabeth. Remember what happened there? Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She looks at Mary and she's, and she, and she, she considers herself so special and blessed because she is able to gaze upon the mother of her Lord. <laughs> she ponders all those things, including what she's just heard from these shepherds. Who knows what was going through her mind, but you know, perhaps she was thinking, who am I to be bestowed with such blessings? What would it look like to live the rest of my life in light of this knowledge? And you know, even today we're to treasure up, we're to ponder. What would it really look like in my life for Jesus to be my Savior? What would it look like if He really is the Son of God, deserving of my love and allegiance? What would it look like if I really trusted Him uh, with my sinfulness, that he could cleanse it and forgive me. What would it look like to live this way? You know, our lives cannot be the same after welcoming Christ. We cannot live like we lived before. Now that we have good news, we know that Christ has saved us from our sins. We must ponder Christ. Lastly, we see our response is to be glorifying. Verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told them. Wow, what a difference a day makes. You know, like the day before, they were just in their fields, you know, working the night shift, you know, <laughs> waiting to punch the clock so they can go home, take a little nap. The day before, they were tending their sheep. On the day after he was born, where were they? Back tending their sheep. Only this time, their hearts were filled with joy and with praise. James Montgomery Boyce points out that the word glorify comes from the word glory, which originally meant to have an opinion. Uh, and then it came to mean to have a good opinion. And now it's come to mean to estimate the true good worth of something. You glorify something when you recognize its good value. 
To say that the shepherds glorified God means that they've seen Jesus in the manger. They're overwhelmed by God's power, by His grace, by His goodness, by His wisdom. They're, they're, they're blown away by the miracle of God taking on flesh. They couldn't stop talking about it because they come to understand the inestimable worth of what God has done for them. And note where they did it. They didn't do it in the temple. I mean, they could have gone to the temple. There's nothing wrong with that. But it says that they returned to where they had been, back to the tiring and unappreciated work of tending to sheep, back to the life where people looked down on them and ridiculed them and treated them as felons. Within 48 hours, they were back to where the angel had found them in the first place. Having made room in their hearts for the babe in the manger, it was now time to go back to work. And they did. And so too must we. At some point, Christmas time ends. Uh, we take down the tree. We put away the lights. We use our gifts or we return them to the store. Eventually the kids go back to school. We go back to work. We go back to the, quote, normal life. But will we be changed by Christmas? Or will it be business as usual in 2016? Well, the shepherd's life would never be the same. Oh yes, they went back to the same work, but they went back different. They went back with a new zeal, a new joy, a new love for God in their hearts. question for you is, as you, have you treasured up Christ in your hearts this Christmas? If so, return to the life that God has called you to, but do it as one who has been good-newsed with the great joy. Let us proclaim the good news that Christ has come. Let us wonder at God's amazing grace. Let us ponder the works of God. Let us glorify God in our daily lives. For in Christ, there is good news and good news. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this good news. It seems so simple, but it's so profound. It's so life-changing. Help us to see more clearly that good news on earth is good, uh, but it's even better when it's found in your work through your son, Jesus.